Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Sombrero Show, or podcast as it is right now. I'm Dominic Stern, joined as always by Cole Bradley, Ryan Blank. And we got another fun episode planned for you guys today, but uh, fellas, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing great. Fun, fun baseball season so far. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going all right. Royals are coming back from day off, so I'm excited to see some baseball today. Um, not everything's about the baseball, Ryan. About the Royals, Ryan. Uh, so as we always start, uh, we go over the Golden Sombreros. Since we last recorded, our last episode was on the third of August, and since then, uh, it's it's been a minute, and there have been quite a significant amount of Golden Sombreros. Uh, first one, uh, Oscar Mercado, outfielder for the Cleveland Indians against the Cincinnati Reds. Ben Gamble, outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers against the Chicago White Sox. And in the same game, the opposing leadoff hitter, Luis Robert, the White Sox against the Milwaukee Brewers. Dylan Moore, Seattle Mariners first baseman on the seventh against the Rockies. Matt Olson, first baseman for the A's against the Houston Astros in a 13-inning game. Omar Narvaez, catcher for the Milwaukee Brewers against the Cincinnati Reds. Bo Taylor, catcher for the Cleveland Indians against the Chicago White Sox. Joe Adele, young prospect for the Los Angeles Angels against Texas on the ninth. Jonathan VR of the Miami Marlins against the New York Mets. And in the same game, teammate Monte Harrison struck out four times. Uh, next one, Travis Darnode, catcher for the Atlanta Braves on the 11th against the New York Yankees. Royal shortstop Alberto Mondesi on the 11th against the Boston Red Sox. He's having a tough time, eh, Ryan? Uh, hold, on, Jason just say, hold on, Doug. Did you just say against the Boston Red Sox yeah. for Mondesi? Huh, maybe I, I, get, I guess I got that one wrong. Yeah, but that's wrong. He did have a golden sombrero. I can guarantee you that because I saw that. Uh, but I, know for, I know for a fact it was not against the Red Sox. I'm going to have to go back and check who they got that what against. Was that it? it was on the 11th because I'm keeping a, uh, I'm keeping a tally of who gets multiple golden sombreros and then I'm doing it by team for strike for who received the golden sombrero and who pitched the golden sombrero. So I'll have to go back. Tigers. He was against the Tigers when he had it. If it's on the 11th. Yeah. Uh, back to getting them. Jason Castro. Catcher for the Los Angeles Angels on the 12th against the Oakland Athletics. Brian Anderson, Miami Marlins superstar on the 12th against the Toronto or Buffalo Blue Jays. J.D. Martinez on the 14th against the New York Yankees. Javier Baez on the 14th against the Milwaukee Brewers. Joey Gallo, uh, we might as well call him the Golden Sombrero, uh, against the Colorado Rockies. Johan Camargo against the Miami Marlins. Willie Castro of the Detroit Tigers against the Chicago White Sox. And on the 18th, we had our first platinum sombrero of the year. Shout out to Michael Chavis of the Boston Red Sox against the Philadelphia Phillies. A platinum sombrero. That's, that takes skill. And last one was Matt Adams of the Atlanta Braves against the Washington Nationals. So I'll now hand over the stage to you guys. Uh, as always, we Begin, or we follow up. If the I can sp- correct you for one second, I messed up. Uh, Mondesi's was the 11th against the Reds. It was against the Reds. I, I did that wrong. Thank you. Uh, and then, as always, we follow up the Golden Spurs by time of how our teams did this past week. Uh, we'll start with Cole, because we know the Diamondbacks have been significantly better than when we last talked about them. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, um, it was a pretty good past couple weeks for Arizona. Um, I think all they really needed was that trip to Colorado to get the bats going in the right direction, which I thought was their most glaring problem at the moment. Um, they scored quite a few runs that series, as um, teams normally do at Coors Field. Um, and they actually took two out of three against Colorado, which was huge to get them back in the right direction. Um and it made an extremely big difference when it came to um, following up that series, coming home to play San Diego, where they finally actually played good baseball against the Padres, and they swept them, 
at home. Uh, last time they have to play them this year, um, which is good for them considering how they played. Um, and then they swept the homestand by taking the first two of the Oakland home and home series. Um, they took the first two games of that series at home before losing the last two nights in Oakland. I think if you're the Diamondbacks, you just have to be proud that you even split that series. Oakland's probably the hottest team in baseball right now, um, or at least one of the better teams in baseball right now. And so, especially coming off that series they had against the Giants, um, I'd say that's definitely something to be proud of if you're taking at least two um, in a four-game set against them, um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, they've been hitting better. Uh, pitching has been better. Robbie Ray was atrocious to start the year. His last start um, wasn't spectacular, but he had he had five no-hit innings. So I mean, you'll take that from Robbie. Um, he did walk, I think, like six guys. Six guys, yes. So I mean, that's the most. I mean, to put it mildly, that's probably the most Robbie Ray scoring or like stat line you'll ever see. Um, but it's a step in the right direction for him, so you can't really comp- complain. I mean, at the rate he's been pitching, you'll you'll consider that a quality start, even though it, by textbook definition, isn't. Um, I will personally take that as a fan. Um, Luke Weaver had a much better start his last time out against the A's. He's been struggling as well, coming off of injury. Um, again, getting, getting in the right direction. But we got to talk about the milkman, Zach Gallon, just really quick. And I'm going to hand it off to Ryan because this man almost has single-handedly willed this pitching staff to perform, I think, at the height, him and Merrill Kelly, to perform at the height that they've been performing at recently. Um, he's the He set a National League record for um, the most uh, consecutive starts, 20 consecutive starts, um, with without allowing three without allowing more than three three runs, so three runs or less. Um, and he continues to do just really, really good against good lineups. And his last start was quality, to say the least, against the A's um, when the Diamondbacks beat them. So definitely excited about him. I knew he was going to be uh, really good coming into this season after what I saw in the second half of last year. But overall, the team is doing a lot better. And um, as a fan, you – really can't be any happier to see this team who was significantly under 500 the last time we had a show. Now they're currently sitting at 500 at 13 and 13. Really good spot to be in, especially in this very um, all over the place National League West division. Now over to me now. Um, Last time we talked, Royals were three and 10 and I went on a rant because I was completely frustrated out of my mind. And look at them now. They're playing really good baseball. Won seven of the last twelve. They're now seven and fifteen on the year. Uh, no, ten and fifteen on the year. My bad. I'll take it at this point. I think the one bright spot has been Brad Keller since he came back from the injured list. I've been completely impressed. Seventeen and two thirds innings, three and zero record, zero runs given up, fifteen strikeouts, and only allowed three hits. He's looked really good, and he's really leading the rotation well. I've seen much better hitting. I think that looking at the Royals lineup, you're getting more production. You're seeing Witt getting back into a groove. Salvi's hitting pretty well before his blurred vision kicked in against Minnesota. But this is a team that has faced a lot of guys who are a lot of teams who are over 500 and they're playing well against teams who are at 500 or better. It's when they play teams that are below 500 is where they struggle because they think they can play down their competition, which is not never how you should play. But I've been completely, completely pleased with how they've been looking recently. They're not far back from fourth place of the Tigers, and that's where I want them to be is fourth place. I'll take it. But I'm really loving what I'm seeing from the bullpen is looking pretty solid. The lineup is getting there. You have those guys struggling like Mondesi and Solaire and guys like that. But Whenever you're able to have a team go from three and ten to ten and fifteen, you'll take it. So I've liked what they've been doing. They just have to fix a lot, fix it up a little bit more, and get more consistent, especially from the lineup. The lineup is showing a lot of inconsistencies. So if they can just keep growing on their consistency, this lineup could really do some damage against any major league team. 
Yeah, no, definitely for uh, for the Diamondbacks, their bats finally picked up, and for Ryan's Royals, the Royals are definitely starting to look more consistent. Uh, I still don't expect them to make the playoffs, and them being five games below 500 right now is right about where I think we all expect them to be. So you know, if you're Ryan, I don't think you can be oh, really asking for much more. I, I, all I'm asking is for fourth place in the division. All I'm asking for, and I think that's attainable. I think Detroit is slipping, and I think that this is a year where the Royals could just use to grow, and that's what they're doing. They're having a lot of young guys like Bubich and Singer go, and then I like it. So I like what they're doing, especially after starting three and ten. This is really good to see. Yep, and I'll wrap up our discussion about our teams by talking about San Diego Padres, who are currently the fourth seed if the playoffs were to start today in the National League. And I certainly did not expect that coming into the season. And the last time we talked, the Rockies were just scorching hot. But pitching staff has just completely fallen apart for them. Uh, Padres had an interesting uh, roller coaster ride since the last time we talked. Uh, started off well. I think we were 11-7 and at one point. And we had just taken the first two games from the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. And then we fell apart. We went on a five-game losing streak. and there was a lot of cause for concern because the offense just just went away and the bullpen has just fallen apart and the bullpen continues to disappoint, which was expected to be a top five bullpen in all of baseball. But then the Potter just had a historic sweep of the Texas Rangers and the Potters typically don't sweep teams. They'll oftentimes take series from other teams, but never sweep. And especially a four game sweep, that's a rarity. And the fact that they did this while hitting a grand slam in each of the four games, first team in Major League Baseball history to hit a grand slam in four straight games, is incredible. And so it's kind of funny because when you look at that, Padres are the first team to ever do that. But the Padres are the only team to still not have a no-hitter in their franchise history. So it kind of takes away that because we we did something that's harder than throwing a no-hitter. Still still waiting for that day. Denelson Lament. Each time in his past four starts has held a no-hitter through the first time around in the order, and I think every single time through the first four innings. So he's pitching like a Cy Young candidate. Uh, He allowed two runs to the Rangers, which was the first time all year. He allowed two earned runs. He's he's been unbelievable for the Potters this year. He's, He's been the ace of the team. And Fernando Tatis Jr. is playing like the MVP of the National League right now. And a lot of people expected him to take a step back from what he did in his rookie season, and rightfully so. I mean, he, he was just tearing the tar off the ball. No one expected him to hit for power like that. But, in fact, he's just hit for better power this year. And we're going to talk about him because he did something that was talked about really throughout the sports world, not just the baseball world or even Padres, uh, the Friar Faithful. In the first game against the Rangers – the Padres were up by seven in the eighth inning, and he had the bases loaded in a 3-0 count. And Coach Jace Tingler gave him the take sign, but he missed it. He missed the take sign. And it was the best missed sign ever because he hit a grand slam. And Jace Tingler used to be a bench coach and a uh, field coordinator for the Texas Rangers. So he, he wanted to show respect to his former organization by not trying to run up the score. Uh And this pissed off a lot of people because uh, he was trying to respect an unwritten rule of baseball. And by Tatis hitting the Grand Slam, he angered Chris Woodward, the manager of the Texas Rangers, by breaking this unwritten rule. And the Internet exploded coming to Tatis' defense over both coaches being on the wrong side of of this. And Manny Machado, of course, got thrown out got thrown out after this because he was the batter after Tatis. And this sparked so much controversy because then Woodward was suspended. The pitcher who threw at him was suspended. And it was really just unnecessary of the Rangers to do this. And baseball, I feel like he's going to benefit from this. What was your guys' take on this event that went down with Tatis and the Rangers? Um, I'll start. So I just recently um, – everybody – probably know or most people who probably listen to this probably know who John Boy is. He he does reactions and breakdowns to plays and stuff in games. He broke down the whole Astros scandal. 
he did a breakdown of this particular situation. And I want to go back to when you said that Tatis, quote-unquote, quote missed a take sign. Um, prior to the 3-0 pitch, just to, clear, just to throw this out there, Tatis either knew in his head that, okay, I'm taking a swing at this pitch, because he didn't even look at the sign. He doesn't even peek at third. If you if you watch the breakdown, he doesn't take a peek at the third base coach, meaning that he already has probably decided what he's going to do with the pitch before he even steps in the box. So to say that he honestly missed the take sign, I don't know if he necessarily missed it. He might have just said, "Screw it, I'm 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 trying to do damage here," which by all means, kudos to him. I mean. When we talk about unwritten rules, I mean, there's certain things like, you know, don't throw at a guy's head or, you know, th- you know, um, uh, be respectful, things like that. Like there's certain unwritten rules where you're like, OK, I can understand that. I get that. The whole 3-0 thing, I personally didn't even know that was really an unwritten rule until this whole thing. I mean, I honestly ha- had the mindset of, you know, if you're a player and, you know, you have a green light on a 3-0 count regardless of score and regardless of situation. If you get a pitch you can handle, you should be doing anything but taking it. Um, and so that's a, that's just what he was doing. And in that breakdown, John Boy makes another good point by saying, you know, what is he supposed to do? Take that pitch and then say he doesn't hit the grand slam and the Rangers then have the opportunity with the final two innings to come back and tie the game. So it's like it's like what is he supposed to do? Stand there and not help his team win? You know that's kind of the question you you have you have to pose. And so it's like you know that doesn't make any sense. And I'm I'm on Tatis's side and on the side of everyone else pretty much in this whole um, circumstance. Because the thing you got to understand is especially with non-baseball fans and if you're if you're trying to market the game to younger kids and younger people. You want to you want to use faces like Tatis who are young and who are uh, such a bright spot for the sport. He's out there. He has fun. He's smiling. He's laughing. He plays the game with joy. Um, you want guys like that to always to always be portraying that image. And you could just see how demoralized he was after after he just hit, you know, probably one of the bigger home runs of his entire career. Um, and he's on the bench getting, you know, a lesson from his teammates and from his coaches. And it's like, you know, that's just not the image you want for – for baseball, let alone one of its brightest stars, you know, you don't want to see that. You know, if you're going to turn on the TV and you're going to watch the San Diego Padres or any other team play, and you're going to watch some of its biggest and brightest stars go out there and put on a show, you don't want them to look like they're not having fun. And especially for a guy like Tatis, who all he's doing is having fun. It's just not good. So I think I'm totally on the side of Tatis and really everyone else here. I think the whole 3-0 thing Un, quote unquote unwritten rule is, is is crap. I mean, you know, if you get a pitch to handle on any count, you should be swinging the bat. So I think he did the right thing. There's no reason to apologize, and that's just the way I see it. For me, Cole, I completely agree with you. That's ridiculous. That even his own manager went against him. I'm sorry, you don't. You back up your players. And if I were any of the Padres. I would seriously think less of Tingler. You back up your players regardless. I don't care what you, what you say. But I played competitive baseball my entire life. And what I've always been told is at any time through our account and through an at-bat, you never look for a walk and take the bat off your shoulder. You're always told that. So what do you want Tatis to do? Take the walk? Just keep the bat on his shoulder? No, you have him swing. It's ridiculous that anyone would say that this unwritten rule should never be broken. When you have a 3-0 count, you're given the green light. It's not unsportsmanlike because you have seen teams over the course of this year make ridiculous comebacks. Look at the A's. They scored nine runs in the fifth inning against the Giants. They made two ninth-inning comebacks against the Giants. These comebacks have happened this year. Anything can happen. I'm not saying it would have happened, but there's always that possibility of it happening and when you have the opportunity to hit a pitch in your wheelhouse and send it over the wall you take it you hit it if they don't want him to swing then throw a better pitch and make him swing and miss or make him take but i don't care what anyone says when you're 3-0 you find a pitch you like you take a hack at it 
that's the time when you get to take a hack at it. I don't care for the people that are saying that he shouldn't have swung or the people that are saying it broke an unwritten rule. Like Cole said, is it really, you didn't know it was an unwritten rule. Is it really that popular of an unwritten rule? If a lot of, if some of the most diehard baseball fans don't know it. Tatis did the right thing. He should not have apologized at all. He shouldn't have had to apologize. He shouldn't have had to defend himself or do anything like that. Stop taking the fun out of baseball. Let's get over the fact. Baseball is a sadly, it's, it's sadly a dying sport right now. And by taking the fun away from Tatis and giving him all this kind of Horace for what he did, you're taking more fun out of it. That's not what you do. Tatis loves playing the game of baseball because he gets to do what he wants. Let him do what he wants. It's it's working. He's a, right now, in my opinion, the MVP, NL MVP frontrunner, and he is one of the most electrifying players in the entire MLB. He should have swung at that pitch. If it's a pitch that he can hit, he should have swung, and he did the right thing. No need to apologize flat out. Well, it's actually funny because the the pitch actually wasn't that bad. It was a low noy fastball. He took it. He took a three zero fastball and went to right center field on a home run. Who does that? Fernando Tatis Jr. does. He, he's incredible. Uh, MLB actually released today that he has the number one selling jersey in all of baseball right now, and rightfully so. I don't mean to brag or anything, but I was like one of the first twenty people to get a brand new Fernando Tatis Jr. Brown jersey. Uh, you know, I don't want to brag or anything. I, I've been on the hype train as early as anyone else has. Uh, but yeah, you guys, you guys said it. The, the, the big issue was Tatis just pl- flat out missing the sign because it's his job to follow the coach's order. Was the coach order wrong? 110%. That doesn't matter. He should be following the coach's order. The coach was wrong. He's not going to make that same mistake again both ways. Tatis missing signs and Tingler telling Tatis to not swing 3-0. This was good for baseball, though, because I think people are realizing these unwritten rules just, they just suck. Not only, there's two unwritten rules that people should follow. One, when your pitcher has a no-hitter, you just ignore him. And two, don't walk on the foul line. I mean, that, that's, that's it. And like, those aren't, those aren't game rules. Those are like, you know, superstition rules. Those are unwritten rules. Those are the unwritten rules people should follow. And so, uh, let's let's more talk about some real baseball here. Let's do some uh, reactions to our standings. We're going to start with the National League because we do have two National League fans in here. Um, nothing's really changed. Uh, still, Atlanta Braves in first place, Cubs in first place, Dodgers in first place. Uh, but we are we surprised? Uh, let's start with the East. The Marlins are still holding strong. They're at 500. Uh, they're on a five-game losing streak, and they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10, though. They are starting to slide, uh, but everyone else in this division is two games or higher below 500. The Mets at 12 and 14, and the Phillies and Nationals are both at 9 and 12. Um, what do we see going down in the future of this division? I think it's going to be probably more of the same. Obviously, you'll see the Marlins probably start to take even more of a slide. They will. Pro- I, I predict them to still finish probably last in the division. Um Honestly, but I mean, considering how bad things have already gone for the Mets, I'm I'm actually still pretty shocked that they're only two games below 500. Um, so I guess if you're a Mets fan or a follower or whatever, um, aside from you know everything that's already happened, I think one bright side is you're still kind of you know you're still kind of in the heat of the race. I'd say you know th- this is still very doable to not only grab a division lead, but to, you know, just, just to, you know, figure things out. I mean, we all know the Mets are just notorious for doing literally everything but play like fundamentally sound baseball, but you know, it's possible. So I don't know. Aside from that, I'm really not surprised. I, I've never really been high on the Phillies. Uh, I'm still not, Um, even though, you know, JT Real Muto is absolutely pummeling the baseball seven price uh, yep and he's definitely making his case for um you know either getting re-signed by the team or you know for teams uh to offer him contracts in the winter but in whatever which case 
I honestly would think the Nationals would be higher, but the only reason why they're probably not is because, you know, Soto was gone for so long, but now he's back and, you know, you he's see how things have gone. He's, he's absolutely torching the baseball. So maybe they move up. Um, but aside from that, I'm really not too surprised by this. I think Atlanta, we all expect it to be uh, at the top there, and they're going to continue to probably be that way for the rest of the year. For me, the NL East is wide open. I think that looking at the Nationals, they took a they got a huge hit today with Strasburg needing surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome. I think that hurts them. I agree with both. I agree with you, Cole, that the Marlins are going to continue to slip. You saw them start out hot, despite all their COVID cases. They still were finding ways to win games, but they're starting to slip more. The Mets. They were starting to get hot, playing better baseball, but now they have they have two positive COVID cases, and the Subway Series has been postponed. So I think that's going to hurt their momentum. The Phillies, I think the Phillies are still a team, one of the teams that is contending that's going to get the second spot in that division. I think that looking at the other teams, the Mets are just falling apart, despite having game momentum. I think having those two positive cases are going to send them into a whirlwind. And then I think you also have to look at the Nationals. They're lost, arguably their best pitcher, and they haven't been playing great baseball despite the return of Juan Soto, who's led them to play better, but they're but they're losing one of their best pitchers and reigning World Series MVP. So I believe that the Braves, it's their division. We've known this. It's going to continue that way, but I think the Phillies are going to come in second. Yeah, and one thing, just like looking at the standings here, it's really funny looking at how these teams have performed at home on the season. The Atlanta Braves are the exception at eight and three, but Marlins are one and five. The Mets are five and seven. The Phillies they're five hundred, but the Nationals are two and eight. Like guys, play better in front of your home stadium. I know obviously home field advantage doesn't matter as much this year, given the fact that there's no fans, but still, that's your park that you're you're most used to pitching off that mound hitting in that box, seeing in that batter's eye. So it's really odd looking at all these teams and really across the league a lot. A lot of teams aren't playing uh, at 500 ball or better at their home stadium. And I think, Ryan, you said it well. This division's really wide open outside of the Braves. And the Braves have really uh, been battling some injuries and they're still winning games. Uh, Soroka, we mentioned him on the last pod, out for the year. And then... Acuna was put on the IL this week. They've just been battling so many injuries. Uh, their bullpen has been really, really good, and that's what held them back last year was their pitching staff uh, outside of the top end of their starting rotation. Max Freed has been incredible this year. Um, he's got the second lowest ERA in the National League, only behind Trevor Bauer, who's probably the front runner for NL Cy Young. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree. Outside, because second place in your division is a playoff team this year. And the fact that second place right now is a team that's 9-9 nine and nine and has lost five straight and uh, has only won two games in their past ten games is uh, certainly interesting. Uh, that's, not, that's not a team that we'd want to see playing in October for sure. So uh, let's, let's move out west. Let's talk about the Central. Uh, Cubs still on top. Uh, they've been struggling as of late. Uh, finally, are starting to come down a bit from their insanely hot start. They're still five and five in the last ten, but they, they're now sixteen and eight. They have a four-game division lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who are seven and seven. They've played decently coming off of their positive outbreaks in their camp. And then you got the Brewers at eleven and twelve, Reds at ten and thirteen, and then you got the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, who have been the worst team in baseball by quite some margin this year, at four and seventeen with a negative forty-four run differential. Uh, so all of us, we picked the Reds to win this division. And if you're like me, you thought that this was going to be one of the easiest, uh, divisions to predict this year. And it's been anything but that. And so what are your guys' thoughts on this division? Do we see the Cubs holding on to their right now sizable lead or do we see someone else taking over? Um, well, I think, like you said, it's been pretty unpredictable. I mean, I don't really think any of us expected Chicago to be where they are. I mean, their pitching has severely outperformed, um, what the expectation has been. 
and David Ross has um, been extremely good since taking has done an extremely nice job of just taking over the reins of this team and um, you know turning him into what they've been so far to start the year. Um, yeah, they've been really good unexpectedly, but do I think they'll maintain it? It's tough to say. I don't think so personally. I still got faith in the Reds who are, you know, doing their thing. I mean, even though they're in fourth, they're only three games under 500 and obviously a lot can happen. Um, I think St. Louis kind of being, you know, you know, quarantined for almost half of the season at this point, um, coming back and playing the way they have, they're definitely helping their case. Um, I don't, I don't really have a lot of faith in the Brewers and then Pittsburgh. You know, I don't, I don't think that's going to change at all. I think they'll probably be last until the end of the year. Um, but I still got faith in Cincinnati. I still think, you know, with the way Bauer is pitched, I think you're getting way more than you could have asked out of him, um, for sure. And then Sonny Gray has been exceptional as well, kind of picking up, uh, up where right where he left off from last season. Um, and then obviously you've got Castellanos, who's still hitting home runs um, to this day. And, you know, the rest of the offense is, I think, I mean, I haven't really been following the Reds, but I think they're kind of staggering behind just a little bit. Um, regardless, I don't know. I, I think the Cubs have really defied expectations here. I still don't think they're going to maintain um, or hang on to that division lead, I think the Cardinals will either take over that first place spot or the Reds. Ryan? Yeah, I agree with you, Cole. I think the Reds are going to still come out of the water. I still have faith in them. I think the, the worst thing with them is that they have not been able to get healthy. Multiple times you see Mike Moustakis on the I.L., and it hurts. You know, this is a season where you lose one of your top guys in that lineup. It's going to hurt you, and you've seen it. So hopefully he can get healthy and stay healthy and help them recover, especially because the Cubs are starting to slip a little bit as they are 5-5 five and five in their past 10 games. So I think despite the struggles of Luis Castillo, they still have a dynamic duo in that rotation with Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray, who are two of the Cy Young candidates in the NL. I really like the Reds. The Cardinals are playing some good baseball as well, despite their long break with covid uh, the Braves, I'm not the Braves, I mean the Brewers, I think that they've shocked me a little bit, especially since Lorenzo Cain opted out the, after the start of the season. So they've they've actually shocked me a little bit, and I'm, I'm kind of impressed with how they're looking as at 11-12 and 12 without their star center fielder. And then it's, it's the Cubs. I mean, Hugh Darvish has pitched really well. Kyle Hendricks has looked really good. David Ross is killing all the expectations that anyone had for him as a manager, and they are playing really good baseball. The lineup is looking pretty good. The Cubs are playing really good baseball, and I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs at all this year, and I predicted that at the beginning of the year. Right, and, you know, you, you did mention that uh, you you do see him making the playoffs, and I would definitely agree with that. I I see very similarly along the lines that I do believe in the Reds roster. I, I believe that they are more talented than the Cubs in just about every single position on the field. And I do think that the Reds will still win this division. But all the Cubs have to do is play 500 ball the rest of the year, and they probably end up winning the division. If not, they're at least a playoff team. And part of the reason the Cubs have been super good, you guys did mention the uh, – you guys did mention David Ross – is uh, managing the team very well right now. But what I look at is the starting pitching staff. And they've got guys up at the top like Yu Darvish and Kyle Hendricks who were expected to come into this year and pitch really well, and they have. But then John Lester has actually been really good as well this year. In four starts, he's pitched 23 innings. Uh, he's not really striking out as many guys as he once used to. Uh, he's got 14 strikeouts on the year in those 23 innings, but his whip's at .87. And his ERA is at 2.74. And to me, he's a big reason why they're playing well right now. And do I expect him to continue pitching like this? I'd say probably not. I mean, you look at his past couple of years, and he just hasn't been that good. Uh, 
Last year, 2019, he had a 4.46 ERA. Uh, 2018, he was good with a 3.32 ERA, but the year before that, 4.33. So he's been trending in the wrong direction ever since the Cubs won the World Series outside of that 2018 season. And I, I just don't see him keeping up the pace that he's at right now. And I feel like once he starts to slow down, uh, the Cubs will as well. Like I said, still see them getting second in this division, but I, it's tough to see them keeping up the 16 and 8 start that they're at right now because right now they're the second seed in the NL. And that would mean they play a third place team in, uh, in the playoffs first round. And that, that's where you want to be. You want to be that one into the two seed. You want to be that team that plays a team that really just snuck into the playoffs. So moving further out west, let's talk about the NL West. Los Angeles Dodgers are finally, you know, putting it together. Uh, they're sitting at, uh, 19 and 8 right now, uh, 8 and 2 in their last 10 games. Padres, four games behind them at 15 and 12. Rockies, Diamondbacks, right behind the Padres at 13 and 12, and then 13 and 13. Both those teams currently would be playoff teams if the season ended today. And then you got the San Francisco Giants at 11 and 16, uh, finally starting to, uh, take a step back. Uh, what do you guys think of the West? Uh, I think it's kind of panned out, uh, well, from, I mean, when we're talking about the Dodgers, I mean, I really, there's no surprises there. I mean, I think we all knew that they were going to be one of, if not the best team in baseball, and that's what they have been. And aside from that, I mean, I'd say that, you know, the Rockies definitely did not surprise me with their start. I will say that they have surprised me with the way they've been playing lately. I, I, you know, normally the pitching and everything does fall apart pretty quickly, and it's bad for them. But, like, I mean, after that series against the Diamondbacks, I mean, it was, I mean, it was all off the rails. I mean, everything, just nothing was clicking for that. I, I expected them to kind of falter a little later than they did. So... Them sitting at 13 and 12 after having a pretty exceptional start is a bit surprising to me. Um, a little surprised about San Diego, as probably everyone is, but pleasantly surprised because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a mix up of things in the division. Um, expected the Giants to kind of be where they're at as well. Um, I expect Arizona, I have faith in my, in, in the Diamondbacks. So I, I expect them to either finish second or third and make the playoffs by the time this, thing is all set and done i think you're in a good spot right now with the offense and the pitching trending in the right direction um but aside from that you're really no no surprises here aside from the rockies really faltering as quickly as they have brian what do you think of the west you know last time we talked i said watch out for the diamondbacks because i knew that they would make a comeback and play better baseball and that's what they're doing They've looked really good over the last 10 games, 7-3. and three. They took two games from one of the hottest teams in the MLB this week, and they are they're trending upwards. So I still believe that they are going to grab second in the division. No offense to the Padres at all. I still think the Padres are going to make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be one of those last two teams to get in. But the Padres have been hitting the ball really well. Pitching has been really good. I've been completely surprised with Danielson Lamette, who's looked really good. The Padres have been super shocking to me, so I expect them to keep playing this way. Maybe not stay as hot, but I still expect them to be in the top three in that division. The Rockies start shocked me, and I knew that they would start to slip, especially with their pitching, and that's what they're doing. They just lost four straight to the Astros, or two and eight in their last ten, and they just continue to struggle. So I expect them to fall more and have the Diamondbacks leap them in the next couple of days. But the Dodgers are truly showing who they are. Mookie Betts is playing really good baseball right now. They were on a seven-game win streak. The Dodgers are the team in this division, and they are going to keep it that way for the rest of the year and take the number one spot in the NL going to the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be interesting to see how the Padres and the Diamondbacks compete for that second and third place spot. Like I think most of us were predicting coming into the year, the two teams have already played each other ten times. And they split the season series, which is another thing, uh, given that the Padres won five of the first seven games. They got swept. All they had to do was take one against the Diamondbacks in Arizona to have that season series edge, which would come into play if they ended up tying in the division. But uh, that that wasn't the case. It, they, they split. 
Uh, they're both two good teams that look like playoff teams right now, and uh, it's good for both Cole and I. So let's move to the American League, and we'll start with Ryan's division, the Central. The Twins, they're out in front by just half a game over the Cleveland Indians, and the Chicago White Sox are right behind them. Um, those three teams are separated by two games, and they're they're really the, the focal point of this division. Uh, the Royals are in fourth place after the Tigers have lost nine straight. Uh, ouch. Uh, everyone knew that the Tigers' fast start was basically a fluke, and they were playing they were playing good ball. They do have some young talent there, but it's it showed that that just they weren't a reflection of that team. Uh, but do we see the top three teams in this division holding up the way it is, or do we see some shakeup going forward? I honestly think that, I mean, I, I've, I've said it a bunch. I still got faith in the White Sox. I mean, and it shows in just the way they've performed. I think it'll hold up. I just think Chicago will either um, uh, finish I think Chicago will actually finish second in the division. I don't think they'll finish third, um, personally. But I just like the way that they've been playing. I think the Indians have been playing pretty good ball as well. I mean, the Twins, I think we all expected probably to be up there. They just, you know, they, they mash, and, you know, that's just kind of what they do. Um, you've got Nelson Cruz, who seemingly gets better with age. And, you know... He's tearing the cover off the ball. But, I mean, how about the White Sox? I mean, they get Tim Anderson back after he was injured for a little bit, and he hit, I think it was like, what, four home runs in uh, four days or something like that? Mm-hmm. He went on some crazy streak. He's at six on the season right now. Moncada's got five. Eloy has eight. Uh, Robert, who's probably going to be rookie of the year in the AL, has got five. Um, and then you've got Encarnacion, who's got four as well. This team's hitting a copious amount of home runs, and that's going really well for them, and that's what you would would have wanted to see. Dallas Keuchel, who, I mean, transitioning to the pitching here, has pitched pretty well for them. I think people probably would have expected him to do a little worse, but he's got a 3.07 ERA and 29 and a third. Um, he's got a, in, uh, five starts, and, you know, he hasn't been – He's been really solid for me. He's been better than Lucas Giolito has to start the year, who obviously is their ace and, you know, who I think a lot of people, including me, expected to win the Cy Young this year. That probably won't happen. So kudos to Keuchel and, um, you know, like Dylan Cease for having, you know, solid years to this point as a little bit of a pick-me-up for the rest of the pitching staff. Um so yeah, again, I still have a lot. I still got a lot of faith in the White Sox, and I think they'll finish second. Aside from that, I think the division is going to stay pretty much the same. For me, looking at this division, you look at the top three teams: Twins and White Sox have been seven and three of their last ten, then the Indians have been eight and two. So I expect shakeup. I think, like Cole said, the White Sox will get into that second place spot. Cleveland will take third, and I think three teams from the Central get into the playoffs. These three teams are looking really good. I think that the Indians, despite the Plezak and Clevenger situation, have really played well. Losing two of their top pitchers, they've played really good baseball. And they might lose them permanently if they decide to trade one of them at the deadline. So there's a lot of mix-up and shake-up that could come around. You don't know what's going to happen. But I really like the White Sox. I really like their lineup. I love how they can just hit for power at any spot in their lineup. So I really like the White Sox this year, but the Twins, despite their pitching woes, their offense is insane. Nelson Cruz, he's like a fine wine. He gets better with age. Oh, my gosh. He's killing the ball. And the doubleheader against the Royals last week, he had a home run in each game. He's killing the ball. They've got Kepler, who who is a good hitter. This is a team that just is another solid lineup, and they've got some pitching to back it up. Kenta Maeda pitched really well last week. So this is a team that I believe is going to – by far, take this division. And you talk about the Twins' offense, but their bullpen has actually been really, really good. Taylor Rogers, one of the best closers in all of baseball. And when we give our season predictions on this podcast, I was the only person to take the Indians over the White Sox in this division. And I said because their starting rotation is really good. And how good have they been? They, they, they've been historically good. 
any time the Indians have scored three runs or more, the Indians have won every single game. So to me, this is a team that needs to capitalize because their starting pitching staff, even like you mentioned, without Plesak and Clevenger, is just killing it. And if they can get some more consistency with their bats, Framo Reyes is starting to hit better, my guy. Uh, and then Slamtana has been hot lately. So if they can go out and get a bat at the trade deadline, you're talking about a serious World Series contender because, as we all know, starting pitching is what really wins you a championship. You know, obviously you have to have a complete team, but if you don't got that good starting pitching staff, your bullpen's going to get beat up, and then you're not going to be able to win a championship. I mean, I the White Sox have surprised me pitching-wise with how good they've been. We all knew how good their offense was going to be, but their pitching staff has actually been pretty solid. Obviously, they've allowed 108 runs, which is a lot, <laughs> but they, they've looked good. 15-11, they're a young team. Future's insanely bright there in Chicago, uh, but like you guys mentioned, I do see Minnesota winning this division. They're just the best team in the American League Central. Uh, let's move out east because uh, America's team, the Tampa Bay Rays, they're in first place in the American League East, and you just love to see it. None of us predict them to win the division, but I predict them to win the American League. And uh, they're hot. They had a five-game losing streak earlier on in the season, and ever since then, they've just gone ballistic. They're 17-9 and nine now. They've now taken, I think, six out of seven from the Yankees. Uh, the six out of seven are five out of six, which is incredible because the Yankees were the only team that could win the American League, according to a lot of people. And outside of that, the Yankees, they're 16 and nine. They're, they've been hit hard by the injury bug. And then right in the middle, you got the Toronto or Buffalo Blue Jays at 12 and 11 and the Baltimore Orioles at 12 and 13. The Orioles have surprised a lot of people. Uh, certainly doing better than I expected, but I think everyone knew that offense was going to be good. We didn't think it would be this good. Uh, one of the best offenses in the league, actually, as a matter of fact. Their pitching staff is just terrible. And if you want to mention a terrible pitching staff, look no further than the Boston Red Sox, who uh, are basically a double-A pitching staff at this point. 8-18, uh, and 18, uh, they've, they have a decent offense, but the pitching staff is awful. 160 runs is tied for the league lead in most runs allowed with the San Francisco Giants, who have a double-A pitching staff. Um, but at the top of this division, do we see the Yankees and the Rays um, battling the entire season for this division? And then do we see either the Toronto Blue Jays or the Baltimore Orioles being a playoff team with these expanded playoffs? Well, one thing I will say is I think – if you're a Blue Jays fan or just if, if you're someone who follows the sport, you got to be really impressed with what Toronto has been able to do, um, especially considering they started out the season um, on the road uh, for I, I don't even know how many games it was because they were preparing the field in Buffalo, and they were still kind of trying to figure out where they were even going to play their home games. And there's still one game over 500, which I think is a good spot to be in right now. Um do I think it's probably good enough to make the postseason or finish even second in this division? Heck no. Um, with the way the Yankees are and with the way Tampa Bay has been playing as of late, I don't see that really. I don't see that um, two-team race really um, going anywhere. I, I, I really think both of those teams, or I, I don't see it faltering at all. I see both of those teams really, you know, going at it for the rest of the way. Um, but yeah, like you said. I think if you're, I think if you're looking at the Rays right now, you got to be really impressed. And the Yankees are not in a good spot with all their injuries, um, but as as they somehow find a way, um, they always find a way to somehow still perform and you know do well with what cards they have been dealt. And it was on full display last year. It's on full display so far this year. You know they're only a half a game back in the East Division. They're coming off a pretty demoralizing series against the Rays. But again, it's not like it's not like you're gonna um, be the Yankees and and say, okay, you know, this is time to hit the panic button. You're still 16 and nine, which is a great place to be. Um, but honestly, with the way Tampa Bay is playing, I don't know. If, I don't know when they'll falter or hold up at all here. I still got the Yankees finishing first in the division, but. 
I think it's going to be really close. I mean, we expected it to kind of be this way, um, and that's how it's gone. So, again, impressed with the Blue Jays um, and impressed with the Orioles for sure. But, I mean, definitely not surprised by the way the uh, top two teams have done. Ryan? I'm going to start off with the Blue Jays, and they've really shocked me. I think Hinjin Ryu has been a terrific addition for them. Boba has been great. Their young core is really solidifying the future in Toronto, and it's just so exciting to see. This team has looked really good, and by the look of the shakeout of the standings so far, if Toronto can keep this up, I could see them being one of those last two playoff teams. I really could. So I think that last year you saw a sh- – a slight, a slight demonstration of what the future held for them when all those guys came up late. But now you're really seeing it, and they're they're above 500. They're only three and a half games out of the division. Am I saying they're going to get anywhere close to winning the division? Heck no. But can I see them getting into the playoffs as one of those last two teams? Yes. But for the race for first, I think the Yankees are going to come out on top. Like you both, like Cole mentioned, it's the injuries that are killing them. Glaber left yesterday's game. You got Judge on IL, Stanton, Paxton. You've got a lot of guys who are injured once again. If I'm the Yankees, I think you got to hire a new trainer because <laughs> they just keep getting injured. So once they get healthy, I think they will regain the lead in that division and take it. But the Rays have been on fire. The Rays are truly showing what all of us expected from them at the beginning of the year. And they're showing, once again, that these guys are a title contender. They're a very complete team, a really good team, and I expect them to to hang with the Yankees the rest of the way but just fall short of the division but still compete in the playoffs. See, I'm going to go against you guys, which uh, I often do. Uh, I can see, easily see the Tampa Bay Rays taking this division because, like you guys mentioned, the Yankees are hurt. They're hurt badly. Their best player right now is Luke Voigt, who is is actually killing it. And with all these injuries in their lineup and to their pitching staff, it's going to be hard for them to recover with how well the Rays are playing right now. And like I mentioned on our prediction pod, I saw the Rays starting slow because they had some COVID problems. And now that they've got over those, Austin Meadows is back. They've got a healthy pitching staff. They are killing it. And I didn't expect them to be 17-9 and nine at this point. I figured they'd probably be around 14-12, and 12, and they'd continue to can to play well as the season goes on and get that second place spot in this division. But right now I, I see this as it's their division to win with the Yankees health problems right now. Judge should be coming back soon. Uh, he said he's healthy, but there's also been rumors that the Yankees might take it slowly with him given his injury history. Uh, there's just a lot of question marks surrounding the New York Yankees and the Rays America's team. They're killing it. And I, I'm going to agree with Ryan on the Toronto Blue Jays. I, I see them as a playoff team with the expanded playoffs. I mean, you just look at the other teams that aren't in the top two in their division right now. You obviously have the White Sox, and they look like they're a playoff team for sure at this point. Whether or not they get second place or third place, that's yet to be determined. Uh, but in the West, you have the Rangers at 10 and 14 in third, and you've got the Angels and the Mariners at 8 and 18 and 8 and 19. That's, that's not going to do it. They're not going to do anything there. So at this point, you just have to beat out the Rangers and hope that the White Sox get in there and then you can just take advantage. Cause I feel like at this point, the Blue Jays just have to play 500 ball under that eight seed. And obviously they're probably going to get crushed by the top seed because their pitching staff isn't, isn't quite there, but this team's young. They're fun to watch. They got a lot of good hitters and that comeback from when they were down seven, nothing to the Phillies yesterday was incredible. And they're a team to watch going forward. Um, I, I've, I love the Blue Jays. I, I love watching America's team, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they should be America's team. I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, and then last but not least, the American League West. And atop this division right now is the Oakland Athletics at 18-8, and eight, but hot on their tail are the Houston Astros, who have won eight straight games. They're at 15-10. and 10. They're coming off that slow start. Uh, they finally filled that gap with a couple of starting pitchers for – Justin Verlander being out for quite some time. It's not going to be the entire season as it turns out. And then we got the Rangers at 10 and 14. They were playing very good baseball till the San Diego Padres came to town. We brought the Bruins. We brought the Grand Slams. And now they're playing bad baseball. 
And then at the bottom, you got the Angels and the Mariners. Uh, do, how do we see the top of this division holding up? And can we see any either of these teams, the Rangers, the Angels, or the Mariners, turning it around uh, in the second half of the season and making a push for that uh, for those seventh or eighth seeds in the playoffs? I don't think so. Um, but I will start out with just saying that, you know, I expected Houston to bounce back. And I think, you know, after sweeping Colorado and, like you said, winning eight straight, you know, they're coming at that top spot in the, or for that top spot in the division, um, which is currently held by the A's, obviously, which you guys predicted to win a division. I predicted Houston. I didn't want to predict it, but I'm just being honest with myself. I still honestly think the Astros are such a stacked team and they're too stacked not to either A, win the division or B, miss out on a, you know, high seed in the postseason. Um, You know, if you look at it, obviously, yeah, Verlander's been out, but they've been able to bounce back with guys like Framber Valdez, who in four starts has a 1.72 ERA. You've got Zach Grinke, who in five starts has a 1.84. Lance McCullers hasn't been great. He is coming off an injury, so, you know, that's always something to, you know, I'm not one to point the fingers and make excuses, but, you know, I mean, if you're coming off of injury, sometimes it's a little it's a little hard to maintain. Um, he's not doing great. But then you got Christian Javier, who's got a 3.55, which is solid in five starts. And then Brandon Belak, who in three starts has a 1.69. So this pitching staff, regardless of, you know, losing Garrett Cole in the offseason and now losing Justin Verlander for probably most of the season, um, has done well with what they with what they have. Um, and now you're starting to see the offense come around even more. Everyone pretty much except Altuve, um, who still is, whose bat is still lagging behind. Um, Alex Bregman, who's on the IL right now, um, that's definitely noteworthy, um, was doing pretty well. Um, Kyle Tucker's actually done a solid job. George Springer, you know, he's been decent, but, I really, I really expected the Astros to sort of bounce back like this, um, and honestly, I think the rest of the way, I think they're definitely going to catch up to the A's. I think it's going to be a pretty tall order, but I think, you know, again, you know, it's hard not to pick them given their, given just their squad and all those guys who they have on their team, um, and you know, their pitching has held them in it. So, I mean, I'm, I still see the Astros taking first place in the division but I think it's going to be close. For me, I disagree. I think the A's are going to take this division. I've said it time and time again. They have the best corner infield duo in the entire MLB. They've got Chapman and Olsen. The Mats, they're killing it. They lead that offense that's hitting really well. They had two ninth-inning comebacks against the Giants and then a nine-run fifth-inning against the Giants. I know it's against the Giants, but still, it's notable. It's still notable. And then they bounced back from losing the first two games against the Diamondbacks, who were who were playing really good baseball and went at home. Yeah, Sean Maniah is not pitching well. Yeah, they don't have AJ Puck, but this team is playing really good baseball. They are a contender in the AL, and Bob Melvin continues to prove how great of a manager he is with everything everything he does year in and year out with the Athletics. This team is really good. I know the Astros have bounced back and won eight straight. They are playing good baseball, but Frankie Montas is pitching pretty well. Besides his last start, his last start was shaky, but overall he's been pitching pretty well. The offense is still going to look good. They're they're having a good time putting up runs. They're putting up a ton of runs. They're having good offensive consistency. They're not having nights off where they're scoring zero runs like some teams, but I'm going to stick with the athletics. There you were my prediction at the beginning of the year. I'm going to stick with it. But as for the second question on whether either of the bottom three teams can turn around, no way. Uh-uh. Angels, it's it's a crime that Mike Trout is on that team. It's a crime. Their pitching, is, their pitching is abysmal. It is atrocious. And it is I don't think they'll I don't think they'll turn around. They need to have pitching, and that's something they don't have. The Mariners, we didn't expect much from them this year. So Continue to 
sleep on them because they're not doing anything. And then the Rangers, I think the loss of Corey, Corey Kluber is going to continue to hurt them. They gave up a lot for him, and he pitched one inning. I think that's going to hurt them in the end, and I don't think – I know Lance Lynn is pitching well, but I just don't think that they're going to turn it around, especially after the demoralizing sweep they had against the Padres. Yeah, and I think you guys said it pretty well for this division. The bottom three teams aren't going to turn it around. Uh, Dylan Bundy, you got to give a shout-out to him. He's kind of carrying that Angels pitching staff. Uh and then Corey Kluber only going one inning and then having to be shut down for the year. It sucks. Uh, I I don't know what you were saying about that trade. They didn't give up much because the Indians knew that Corey Kluber didn't have much in the tank and they were willing to take something for him. And, uh, you know, they got something. And now the the Rangers, they they were in a good spot coming into the week. They were 10-10, uh, third of the way through the season. Uh, pitching staff was was performing really well. Lineup was doing all right, and they've just oof, wow. The series was a real gut shot to them. Uh, so I don't I don't know if I can see them recovering. And at the top, it's going to be such a dogfight for the A's and the Astros. And I think everyone's pulling for the A's given what happened over the off season. And I honestly don't know who's going to win it given how hot Houston is. But the Oakland Athletics, you got to give a lot of credit to them. They, a team that historically starts slow did not start slow. And they're, they're trying to fend off the Astros, who uh, have been so good in the past couple of years. And I, the, the AL West is going to be a fun division race to watch for the rest of the year. So one more topic before we head out. Uh, we're going to talk about coronavirus. You know, it's still it's still out there. We haven't had a, uh, a breakout within a team like we had with the Marlins and the Cardinals, but we have had two instances where some series is, had to get postponed. We had a couple of players on the Reds, or two players on the Reds, and then one player on the Mets and a staff member. Uh, the Subway series was postponed this week. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this? We'll start We'll start with you, Ryan, actually, because Cole started out on everything. You know, it sucks. Uh, you saw... The Royals have one game postponed and moved to a doubleheader because the Reds had a positive test. But, you know, it continues to haunt teams. And I think this is really going to hurt the Mets because they had won three or four in a row and started playing good baseball and getting back to where they could continue and get up and fight for a spot in the playoffs in the NL. They were playing good baseball, and I think this is just going to hurt them. They had the ability to go in and probably take a couple games from the injury-filled Yankees, and now they don't have that because of all the positive testing. So it continues to haunt teams. It sucks. You you see more and more players just not really taking it seriously. Looking at uh, Plezak and Clevenger, guys got to make sure they're taking it seriously and doing what is best for their teams. So that's what that's just all I really have to say about it. Um, I agree. I mean, anytime you see anything that's COVID related pop up this year, you know, at all, it sucks. You know, you just don't want to see it. You know, things have, have gotten way, way out of hand with this whole situation as is. Um, I will say ever since the Cardinals situation, um, was, you know, had subsided and things got better there and same with the Marlins situation the league overall has done a much better job from uh when it comes to you know cracking down on this issue being more strict on protocol and stuff like that I think guys overall have taken it more seriously obviously you have your you know your fleece acts and your your clevengers who you know just aren't you know really you know buying into this whole thing and obviously you know only really care about themselves and they're being really selfish. But at the same time, again, overall, I think really you got to give credit to the MLB for cracking down a little bit more on this and all the players kind of getting on board and coaches and saying, you know what, we got to, we got to be even, um, we got to be even more um, uptight about what we're doing. I thought that whole situation with Luriano breaking out in that fight against the Astros was going to, there was something that was going to stem from that, you know, thank goodness to this point, nothing hasn't. Um, 
that kind of stuff just can't happen this year. I mean, you know, you shouldn't be saying anything bad in the first place, but that's a whole other story. I mean, you know, when there's a time and a place, this year is not the time and it's not the place. So I think aside from that, everything's actually gone a lot better. So, again, give credit to the to the league for cracking down on that. Um, but, yeah, with the Mets, that, that, that stinks. You don't want to see that. And, I mean, you know, hopefully things only get better from here. Right. And, you know, you've seen in a couple of instances you've had those outbreaks. But for the most part, the league has done such a good job of cracking down on it. And it just kind of proves what society needs to do as a whole. Because unlike the NBA and the NHL who have gone and done their bubble to get their season done, which, good for them, they're, they're doing their own thing. But baseball is functioning in society. And is it functioning at normal? Absolutely not. But the people are social social distancing when possible. They're wearing masks. They're washing their hands. And they're doing a good job. And, you know, of course, you're going to have a couple of instances where uh, you do everything right and stuff still goes wrong. But they're proving that we can still have a functioning society while – Doing stuff in the coronavirus, while it'll still be present, you can find ways to avoid it while doing the stuff that you want. And that's something that baseball is showing because there have been so little positive tests, but they're still playing like a normal season. Obviously, there's no fans. They're wearing masks. It doesn't look normal, but they're still functioning. And that's what society needs to look at. All right. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Golden Sombrero Show. I'm Dominic Stern, joined by Cole Bradley and Ryan Blank. Make sure to follow us all on Twitter. We'll be posting this episode on there. Uh, we hope you enjoy listening to our baseball content. Uh, like I said, we'll have more Golden Sombreros next week. Uh, hopefully we'll be on Blaze Radio in the near future. And with that, that's going to wrap it up. Thank you for tuning in.